Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host for today, Robbie Martin. We haven't done an interview in a while on this podcast. And I'm going to mention this at the beginning of the episode this time instead of the end. But if you enjoy these podcasts and you want to support us, please consider donating to patreon.com slash mediarootsradio for as little as $1 per episode. You get access to exclusive episodes, some bonus episodes. We're doing a bonus episode at the end of this month that will be unlocked at a later date, but if you donate, you'll get exclusive immediate access to it a few weeks early. So please consider doing that. So today we have a pretty special episode, an interview with Mint Press News writer and investigative journalist, Whitney Webb. Whitney is currently one of my favorite investigative reporters writing on the internet right now. Her work is primarily at Mint Press News, but I highly recommend everybody check it out. She's been writing extensively about the neocons and foreign policy agendas that they have, and this whole fake news, soft censorship internet purge as well. And what we're going to talk about today is the newest iteration in sort of the neocon, neoliberal blob agenda to soft censor the internet through a corporation called NewsGuard. So without further ado, here's our interview. You just wrote this uh, incredible expose on this company, and I guess you could describe them as a corporation. Or, I mean, I don't even know if they're incorporated, but they have a, a CEO yeah, they have two CEOs. Two CEOs. Right. And it's called NewsGuard. The name, sort of obvious what they kind of do, maybe not obvious to everyone listening to this, but obvious to people like you and me who've been looking into this for a while. But what exactly is NewsGuard, and how did you first hear of them? So NewsGuard, I mean, they claim to be guardians of the news, right? That's like what the the name sort of evokes when you hear it. Um, right now, it's currently just a browser plugin that puts the rankings. Uh, it creates side-by-side websites as they appear in social media, in search engine results, uh, and so on. And the rankings are color-coded, uh, so like green is is good and red is bad. And if you click the ranking symbol and like follow a link or two, you can read New Guard's, uh, NewsGuard's like written analysis of that particular site. And what's interesting here is that NewsGuard doesn't, they don't rate like a site, the content on a site, like per article, they rank the organizations, like the news organizations as a, as a whole. So that means that a site that NewsGuard decides to rank poorly for whatever reason can have tons of accurate content, but they can still get a red rating every time they appear on someone's internet browser. So at this point, it would be important to point out also that NewsGuard's rating system, if you download it and you like go through the different pages and see what the ratings are for different things, um, it's clearly biased in several instances. And I'll just bring up the clearest examples. So like WikiLeaks is an example. You know, they've never retracted anything. They have a 100% accuracy rate and they're given a red rating by NewsGuard. The justification being that they don't uh, regularly post corrections or correct false information, even though NewsGuard admits later on in their uh, written explanation that WikiLeaks has perfect accuracy. So basically what NewsGuard is saying is that they failed WikiLeaks for not correcting errors that WikiLeaks never made, which is um, 
you know, pretty crazy. <laughs> so does this another, pop up? Uh, does this pop up when you load the WikiLeaks website itself? Like this, this NewsGuard right. extension will show you a red rating and explain why. Right. So if you look up where you like the URL is on your browser, uh, it, it appears there and it appears like in red. Okay. Right. So like you're kind of red is like, you know, uh, attention grabbing. So you'll see it up there, but it's more noticeable like on social media because wherever right next to the name of the, the article or whatever that comes up, there's a big the big red thing pops up there. And that's what you would click to go and see the more uh, detailed written explanation. And it also pops up red next to all the search results, right? So I think it's more uh, targeting traffic from search engines and social media, which is where the majority of, of news traffic really comes from. Wow. Okay. Well, just as you're saying this, I didn't even take the time to install the plugin and I just installed it. <laughs> okay. And I'm, and I'm seeing exactly how it operates. It's very interesting. So it has a credibility and transparency ranking. Right. And it rates WikiLeaks red, but it gives them some accol. I guess it gives them right, some right. points, which is bizarre. But no, I mean, that kind of sums it up right there. I mean, that's. But, but, but no, the so thing continue. here is, is like, even if you look up on the on the color, right, it'll like list some things as green. So like RT, which it gave a failing rating, it'll say some things are green in RT and some things are red, but it gives it a red rating anyway. And what ultimately the final rating is what really matters because that's what people see unless they bother to scroll over the little button or they bother to read the written explanation. Got it. And is Mint Press currently already rated through them? As far as I know, no, but I haven't checked today. I mean, I, I like checked out the plugin when I was writing this, but I mean, it, it just, <laughs> I don't want to support it. So yeah. I have installed it, you know? Um, so at that time, and, and, and as far as I know, it's still being rated and that's actually, um, to answer the, uh, the second part of your question, that's how I first found out about NewsGuard was because uh, Mint Press, where most of my work, is, well, all of my work right now is published, uh, was contacted by NewsGuard asking, uh, you know, our editor, Manar uh, Mukhawesh, to answer uh, a series of questions. Um, if you look at my report, I linked uh, uh, her uh, answers uh, to those questions, which uh, that whole exchange was published in full on Mint Press's site. Mm -hmm. um, and you can pretty much tell that a lot of the questions uh, – I mean, from the get go, we're biased against Mint Press, and they clearly didn't read our site. Like, so for example, they said we didn't, we don't attribute images we use on the site. We just use them, like steal them, basically. Even though you know we have a Mint Press has like a partnership with the Associated Press for photo use, and so we attribute all of that to the Associated Press because it comes there, and we pay money to use their photos. Yeah. And literally, all you have to do is look at any article uh, on Mint Press, and you will see that all photos are cited. So obviously, you know, the person that contacted us who works for them and is a supposed veteran journalist, as they claim all their staff are, you know, um, she didn't even bother to really look at our, our site before contacting us. And she claimed that we don't do this, even though we clearly do. And, you know, a lot of the other questions were like that. They also brought up, a. A BuzzFeed story that was written about Mint Press. Um, I think it was in 2013 when Mint Press. I wasn't working there at the time, but Mint Press um, had published a story about Syrian rebels in in um, like having access to chemical weapons back then when that that first uh, chemical alleged chemical weapons attack occurred. Yes. And you know that reporting by Mint Press was later verified by people like Seymour Hirsch, 
uh, you know, in, in places like that, in other people like that, you know. Um, but Mint, but BuzzFeed, like, said Mint Press is, like, linked to Iran because, you know, Manar's uh, father-in-law, who isn't even involved in the in the business, like, lived in Iran for two years in the 1980s mm. <laughs> and, like, all this stuff. And she was basically – the question was, like, um, this is what they said and it seems, you know, legitimate to us. So what what is your response? Do you have a comment? You know, it wasn't really, like – it didn't seem fair to us, you know. Yeah, from what I recall, from from uh, Menar's actual article about it, she republishes the entire interchange in the email. Right. And the reporters, she, she calls herself a reporter, and it's basically a, a website plugin that we're discussing, NewsGuard. That's their main thing so far. Well, that's what they are now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they have plans to evolve. We'll get to that later, though. Okay. Yeah. Her name is Jenny Kamen, um, and what's interesting is what i gathered from her questionnaire was first she says that why don't you why do you have like a liberal bias but not disclose it which is an odd thing to say to someone in general and it kind of almost in a way differentiates this company maybe from some of these other more openly liberal institutions that are doing these fake this fake news watchdog stuff like right. snopes mm-hmm. To just so they first they accuse him of, li- of liberal bias, Mint Press News of liberal bias, and then not only do they accuse Manar of somehow being pro Assad, but they also accuse her of being pro Iran because of her father. So when I read just those things, her father-in-law, was, sorry, I'll her father-in-law, out. and when I read those things, I was thinking hmm, that kind of has a little bit more of a right-leaning flavor to it than some of what you might expect, like if Facebook's fake news department sent out a questionnaire like this. So when we can get to some of that later, but I, I thought that that was just interesting of itself. So you first heard right. of them through this, through them approaching yeah. Mint Press News. And now it appears on their plugin Mint Press News. When you, when I, I have the plugin installed now, it says actually this website is still in the process of being rated by NewsGuard. So right. they're working on something, um, you know, collecting information about them. But you ended up doing a, this great expose on them based off of this. Um, yeah. So they probably won't rate us very highly now. Of course. <laughs> That's what we expect anyway. So, and, and really, I mean, no one else has really blown this, this open. You know, a lot of people uh, base their reports off of your, your original story. Yeah. Um, but one of the, the other things that caught my eye, of course, in your expose was you quoted foreign policy initiative director and Alliance for securing democracy spokesperson, Jamie fly. Um, as saying that the recent purge of independent media sites online was, quote, just the beginning of what you say is, quote, a concerted effort by the U.S. government and powerful corporations to silence online dissent within the United States and beyond. Can you explain why someone as obscure as this guy, Jamie Fly, is actually, you know, potentially playing a crucial role in this and how he can make such a prediction and what this you know, when I say this, what is this overall? Like, why is Jamie Fly linked to what's what this NewsGuard site is? Okay, so um, my reference to Jamie Fly has to do with an article that was republished by uh, Mint Press from Max Blumenthal's Grayson Project. Uh, that article went and uh, talked about how uh, Jamie Fly he was um, at some conference on Asian security. Um, there in, uh, at the end of October, uh, a few weeks after the, the so-called social media purge on Facebook and Twitter had taken place, and he had told um, the, the person that co-authored this article with Max, I don't remember his name right now, but um, he had told him 
to quote, he said, uh, so we are just starting to push back, you know, against independent, independent media sites. And he said just this, uh, last week, Facebook began starting to take down some sites. Uh, so this is just the beginning. And, um, and that's what he had said to this person during this Asian security conference. And I think it's important to point out that even though Jamie Fly may not be like a well-known person, I mean, he's very well connected to uh, the neoconservative movement in the U.S. I mean, he's affiliated. He, he used to uh, he was a contributor to the Weekly Standard. Uh, he also uh, has done stints at the American Enterprise Institute. And it's important to point out at this point that one of the, the co-CEOs of NewsGuard is uh, Gordon Lewis Krovitz, who uh, used to be publisher of the Wall Street Journal. Um, but he's also um, connected to the A. Even if you read his bio on the NewsGuard website, I mean, he, he basically brags that he's like affiliated with the American Enterprise Institute as well. And um yeah. And, the, you know, the Council on Foreign Relations and, and all this stuff and the Heritage Foundation, too. And if you look at Krovitz's own reporting at the Wall Street Journal and stuff, I mean, he has a lot of shady talking points and he's actually been repeatedly accused of, of fake news. And he, you know, as an example, when he, he published a column on uh, NSA surveillance and he basically argued that all the leaks like the Snowden leaks and all that that showed, you know, this huge overreach of NSA surveillance and, you know, the basically gutting uh, the Fourth Amendment. He basically said what this basically shows is quote, uh, this is an agency obsessed with complying with the complex rules limiting its authority. So, I mean, this is one of the co-CEOs of, of NewsGuard. He was, he was called out by the, you know, Electronic Frontier Foundation, uh, Foundation repeatedly getting his facts wrong. He had an opinion piece of the Wall Street Journal in, in 2012, where he was uh, accused of making, you know, fake news, basically, including by the very people that he had cited uh, to support his argument in that article. I mean, they all came out and said he was wrong and he never retracted uh, that article. It's still online. Uh, I linked to it in my piece if you want to take a look at it, you know. So anyway, this is one of the CEOs that's running the show here. And he's, uh, you know, as I mentioned, connected to the neoconservative movement. And the fact that Jamie Fly is an insider in that movement, I mean, he, he knows what's going on because a lot of what that what that movement uh, does, you know, isn't really done out in the open. It's sort of behind, you know, closed doors, you know, in the Washington Beltway. It's not really, you know, something that they 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 brag about until after the fact. So um, I think Fly's uh, role in this uh, shows that these are the at least one of the groups that are really helping to orchestrate increased censorship on, on independent media. Totally. And, you know, this is what this is something that we've been talking about on Media Roots for a couple of years now, is that it seems like, you know, after the 2016 election is really when all this sort of started to accelerate. Right. And in your article, you say that neoconservatives and other standard bearers of the military industrial complex and the U.S. oligarchy are now poised to let loose their latest digital offensive against independent media outlets. So the larger agenda of this, you know, seems to be to marginalize and even censor, uh, maybe soft censor might be a better word. Independent, soft, soft censor is a better word. Yeah. Independent media voices. That. Because, you know, you can still use the internet to put up your own website and and pretty much publish whatever you want as long as the server company you're using, you know, you don't violate their terms of service and, and get kicked off the server. But that's not the way the internet really necessarily has evolved you know, that's, that's almost like early internet. Like, that's how the 90s was. Jamie Fly is also in the Alliance for Securing Democracy, which is something I think you've also written about before. Right, the, the Hamilton 68 people, right? Exactly. I mean, I wrote about them like a year ago, so yeah. <laughs> I'm not up to speed. But. And the Alliance for Securing Democracy is not in the business of 
rating websites specifically, but what they are in the business of is another form of this sort of soft censorship or even chilling effect. This is almost, it almost to me seems like, when I say chilling effect, it almost seems like it's designed in part to the sow the seeds of paranoia among the general public by saying that all these Twitter accounts are talking about this, and we've decided these Twitter accounts are Russian bots. And that means right. that this is a, a disinformation campaign. This is not a real issue. And they do that a lot with just regular like right-wing talking point issues or left-wing talking point issues. Like Standing Rock, you know, they would probably say was a right-wing disinfo – or sorry, a Russian disinformation right. op. But it seems like a lot of people in the media aren't really following this larger – agenda that seems to be at play, which is which is a lot of the same people involved. You know, people like Jamie Fly, people like William Crystal, who sits on the board of Alliance Securing Democracy also, who hired Jamie Fly for Weekly Standard and Foreign Policy Initiative. But right. it seems like this agenda is to purge the internet of threatened Threatening independent media voices. I mean, it may be an obvious answer, but maybe why do you think that that's the agenda? I mean, do you agree with that? Why is it so threatening? Why are they so threatening? <laughs> okay, well, uh, first, I would agree with that. And I want to go to the point of what you mentioned uh, at the beginning about soft censorship. I think that's absolutely what they're doing. And I think that's their main plan, because if they were outright censoring, it would look bad. Uh, and so what they're trying to do is they're trying to find other ways to either uh, starve these pages financially or, you know, uh, you know, this color coding rating system NewsGuard uh, has um, and, and try and, and put through, uh, you know, these other methods that uh, are, are attacks on independent and alternative media without outright, you know, removing them from the Internet, which would obviously seem uh, excessive to most people. OK, um, but I, I well, we'll so touch on it, that point really quickly. Why? Like, is it is it because it's as simple as they don't want to give the appearance that we're like going against the American way? So to speak. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think that's a big part of it because, a lot, you know, NewsGuard has been really involved lately in image building. Yeah. Um, so in just in the past two months, I mean, they've been getting a lot of buzz in the media from big name outlets like Wired, Forbes. Uh, they recently had one this past week in the New York Times, uh, Bloomberg and so on. And, you know, they're really promoting themselves this company that is the answer to fake news uh, because they're headed by, quote, veteran journalists. And, you know, they're humans, not algorithms. And they're, they're repeating these same talking points. I mean, they are really concerned about image, um, which is why I think it's important for people to, that are concerned about the stuff we're talking about to help, you know, tear down that image and ask these tough questions to these people, um, and, and sort of, you know, um, put their feet to the fire, um, and hold them accountable, you know, for what's really going on here. Um, and, uh, something I want to point out about like the soft censorship, uh, since we're touching on this now is, um, the fact that NewsGuard recently is promoting this service that it's calling brand guard, yes. um, which basically involves, um, if you are rated poorly by NewsGuard, uh, and some company uses this brand guard service, um, it cuts off ad revenue to all sites that are rated poorly by NewsGuard saying that if you don't want your brand to appear on sites that are fake news, Sign up for BrandGuard, and we'll make sure that all poorly rated sites uh, that your ads don't appear on the sites that we rate poorly, which is um, important, uh, is, is going to be a huge issue for alternative media sites, especially with the um, 
uh, due to the fact that NewsGuard is set to partner with Google. They've already partnered with Microsoft, um, but they're set to partner with Google as well, which means that Google AdSense, which is probably like the biggest ad revenue, uh, even though it's currently already really biased against uh, independent media sites, I mean, BrandGuard would give them an excuse to just cut off these sites completely. Um, which, you know, obviously would hurt revenue and basically reduce most independent, independent media sites to, to crowdfunding, uh, alone to support themselves. Yeah. I mean, and it seems like, you know, it's like they want to preserve this image or this facade of freedom of speech. Right. But in reality, they're trying to undermine the first amendment through all these different tactics. I mean, technic technically speaking, first amendment still exists. You can still do, pretty much do whatever you want on the internet, but they're trying to sort of undermine the nature of what the inter internet is was originally, you know. Well, I, according to Yasha Levine and people like that, it was originally a weapon. So maybe maybe this was the plan yeah. all along, but um, it's it is really sneaky and underhanded, and they're coming at it from so many different angles because the Alliance for Securing Democracy is coming at it from a completely different angle. Um, and right. Then you have well, it's part of a nexus, I would say. I feel like, yeah. you know, Hamilton 68 is part part of part of, uh, you know, a broader effort. And, you know, and that's the one they, they you know, started first. And the NewsGuard started uh, in last March is when it started up offici officially. Um, I can't I, I believe Hamilton 68 was already functioning by then, but I'm not 100 percent certain. But anyway, I think so. But anyway, uh, so NewsGuard started not that long ago. And so they're like the second phase. And yeah. I'm sure we'll see more of these, you know, neocon backed. Um, you know, enterprises aimed at, uh, you know, sort of stifling uh, independent media on, on the internet and its popularity. Uh, we'll see, we'll continue to see them cropping up, especially if things like NewsGuard aren't successful. Because what they're really trying to do also in a lot of their um, their coverage of NewsGuard right now in, in these big name outlets is, is manufacture consent um, for NewsGuard to be installed by default on a lot of, uh, on browsers by default and on computers by default. Wow. Um, Right. Um, and so part of this has to do with this Gallup poll that was released recently. So if you look at some like if you go to new, um, you know, uh, NewsGuard's uh, press tab at the top of its page and you go under media coverage, you'll see um, some you'll see all the media coverage that's, that there's been recently. And there's a ton of it. But several of them talk about the recent ones talk about um, oh, NewsGuard uh, is popular. Oh, NewsGuard is winning over consumers and gaining traction with, with consumers and social media platforms. And all of those cite this Gallup poll that was notably, um, not all of them mention this, but some of them do, that this Gallup poll was funded by the Knight Foundation, which is a major investor in NewsGuard. It was also funded by NewsGuard itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and it claims, uh, you know, that like over 80% of social media users want NewsGuard to be uh, permanently integrated into Facebook and Twitter. Um, but then if you read the poll, you actually download the poll and you go to the very end, it says, um, this is based, uh, you know, um, on the responses of X number of people and it is not representative of the U.S. population it's representative of people who are likely to use NewsGuard, but all the but they're just using the main finding of the poll and saying eighty you know eighty nine percent of Americans want this without stating you know what's uh, in the fine print at the bottom of the poll, which to me is a clear indication that they're trying to manufacture consent for this to be installed by default. NewsGuard's uh, CEOs that have been a big part of this media blitz, they've openly stated that their plan is to have NewsGuard. I'll, I'll quote. Um, 
one of NewsGuard's uh, two CEOs, Stephen Brill, um, is, is the one uh, in this case. He told the Boston Globe just a few months ago that the goal is to, quote, um, to have NewsGuard running by default on our computers and phones whenever we scan the web for news. Right. So they're doing this in a couple of ways. They're pri- they're partnering with the private sector, uh, you know, Silicon Valley, Microsoft, soon to be Google. And they're also partnering with governments. So they're having this they're promoting this to public library systems all across the country, public schools and universities. The first state uh, to adopt this was Hawaii. So now all Hawaii public libraries have NewsGuard running on their computers. Another one just accepted. I think it was in Toledo. Also, is uh, that's a city or a, um, a county, and they're uh, going to install NewsGuard on all their computers. So it's starting to creep, and sort of they're they're pushing for this to be the the default on on all computers uh, and phones. And Microsoft, you know, as part of its partnership with NewsGuard, has said that um, they'll be moving. They they have they now have it integrated in their Edge browser, but I don't really know how many people use Microsoft Edge as a as a web browser. But anyway, because Microsoft is, you know, the manufacturer of um, Windows and all that, that they'll be having it running on, you know, default on, you know, Windows machines and stuff like that and and all that. So um, it's it, it's sort of like a, um, a gradual attempt to sort of force NewsGuard on people, even though they're promoting it right now as a voluntary plug-in. Mm-hmm. That's how it's starting out. That's not NewsGuard's end game, right? I mean, they're trying to make this on everything, make it basically inescapable. Um, if you're in living in the U S yeah. And maybe, I mean, maybe NewsGuard won't even exist in maybe three or four years, but even if it doesn't, something else will sort of take its place. Well, yeah, the whole format that we're talking about seems to be the obvious eventual goal of all this is like we were saying to soft censor the internet to limit what people see, hear, and read in terms of independent media voices. And it's really fascinating to think that this really accelerated over the past really just two years. Right. The end of the 2016 election night, recall some of your memories of this timeline of how this really all sort of exploded. I mean, one of the first memories I have, for example, was apparently the weekend after the election, before the inauguration, Obama was still in the White House, Trump won the election, and he was having a private conversation in the White House about how he's extremely concerned about the rise of fake news, because I guess there was an article in the Washington Post saying that they thought fake news cost Hillary the election, and they were actually using the the term fake news, but of course, this sort of later morphed into what you know, the think tanks and Alliance for Securing Democracy calls Russian disinformation, and then also split off into Trump weaponizing and throwing the term around fake news back in the establishment's faces, you know, sort of to his own advantage. But what has happened since the election and now that, that has really built up to what seems like this total integration now? Was it just proper not, you know, that really started all this? I mean, I, I can't even remember now how many different things that have happened. How do we get to this yeah. point? <laughs> I think what really happened uh, in this case, and sort of to touch on the earlier question that we sort of skipped, um, is that what happened in the 2016 election, uh, right before and after, is that the mainstream uh, media or the traditional media in the U.S. really lost a lot of their power to independent media. They lost the, the well, in the sense that they lost the power to uh, exclusively control narratives. Um, 
And a lot of people leading up to the election, because of like the bias coverage toward Hillary and, and things like that, um, and the WikiLeaks releases of reporters colluding with the, the, the Clinton campaign and, and whatnot, you know, really uh, made you know, Americans trust in mainstream media that was already nosedive, nosedive even more and really hurt their credibility. But also, you know, that also hurts their power. And mm -hmm. I think that's a major reason of why we're seeing a lot of these big name outlets promoting things like NewsGuard so much is because it's a way for them to get rid of the competition that, that yeah. has been more successful than them because they're providing a counter to, you know, these mainstream narratives and, and, and you know, acting like the watchdogs that these big name outlets claim to be that they claim to be, but they're, they're not like that, you know, at least not anymore. So I think what's happened since then is that, you know, they, they, they've been saying, Oh, fake news is sort of, you know, their way to go on the offensive against, you know, their, their failure to control the narrative in the 2016 election and afterwards, because I know if you, I mean, if you remember like before the election, you know, it was like so many of the big name outlets said that the, the probability that Clinton would win was like over 90% and then Trump won. And they were just like, Oh, uh, how do we explain this? was probably really embarrassing for them. And the fact that, you know, so many uh, pages on the on the left and the right in independent media had popped up and, you know, gained in, in some cases, you know, millions of followers on Facebook and, you know, like loyal, devoted followings from people in the US, you know, they really wanted to, uh, you know, at the same time with their own revenues from like print newspapers and stuff like that is drying up. I mean, it's really about for them anyway, to cut off the competition. So, you know, that this term fake news came up and then what we saw, you know, in the case of Proper Not, you know, Proper Not, no one knew about it until it was promoted by the Washington Post, right? Yeah. A big name outlet where they were saying, oh, this is a new watchdog and whatnot, even though Proper Not in the years since the Washington Post report has, has shown itself just to be really idiotic. I mean, they recently said that the term neoconservative was made up by Russian trolls or something like that. Hilarious. Wasn't around, you know, like they're gaslighting. Ago. I love the gaslighting of that. It's just like, really? <laughs> yeah. You're say like, that? Have you, yeah. Like tell like, uh, you know, William <laughs> Crystal's dad, Irving Crystal, like over 50 years ago that like he's a Russian bot, you know, for making up the term or like using the term neoconservative. I mean, it's just like, it's really absurd. So anyway, you know, that was promoted by the Washington Post and a lot of, you know, after, you know, um, th this uh, Russiagate hysteria also sort of merged with like these, these stories promoting proper not that was not honest journalism. And then a lot of these same outlets also had a lot of stories, you know, Russiagate type stories that were later proven to be inaccurate um, to use the Washington Post again, just to be, you know, consistent here to show a big name outlet being involved in both types of, you know, fake news and Russiagate to explain, you know, sort of how they merge at the end. The Washington Post had a story, for example, not long after the election claiming that Russian hackers had hacked an, an electrical grid in Vermont. Yep. And then it later turned out that literally the whole thing had never happened ever. It was just, you know, invented basically. I mean, uh, there was no evidence for it. it right. And, but it had, you know, generated this huge, like this frenzy of activity from like, you know, resistance type people and whatnot, and definitely promoted uh, an agenda. But it, I mean, it was fake news, but at the same time, Washington Post is saying, oh, here's a service like proper not that identifies all the fake news for you. Right. So proper yeah. not, I think, NewsGuard is like the sophisticated neocon-backed evolution of proper not in a sense that it sort of is a blacklist of sites, but it doesn't look like a blacklist, and they don't claim they're all connected to Russia or whatever. But they 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 claim they claim it on journalistic grounds, 
You know, they, they, they claim, oh, you know, we're veteran journalists and we know how to identify journalism better than you because you're just, you know, regular Americans who were duped by the Russians in 2016. So let us help you identify, you know, who's trustworthy and who's not because, you know, we're from the New York Times uh, or not the – well – it's like Newsweek and the Wall Street Journal and stuff like that, where the two CEOs have been published. But they have, you know, on their staff, they have people from all over. Totally. Um, and so, and so, I really think you know, NewsGuard is sort of a combination of of, of proper not. Uh, it also, but also combined with like you know the people from the mainstream media who really want to wipe out their own competition, but also do it with the help of the other actors that are interested in wiping out independent media, which is why you see so many former government people on NewsGuard's advisory board. You have like Tom Ridge, yep. former secretary of Homeland Security. Michael you have Hayden. Michael Hayden, former CIA and NSA director. You have Richard Stengel, who was Obama's, to quote Stengel himself, he was Obama's chief propagandist. Wow. Right. So, um, and then you also have uh, someone from Wired Magazine, a co-founder, which I found really interesting. John Battelle. It's fascinating because I've always gotten hints of weird shenanigans from government psyops from Wired Magazine from right, as right. far back as 15 years ago. Well, if you remember, um, well, to point out an example of Wired being shady, you know, they were sort of involved with uh, with um, Chelsea Manning. Oh, of course. They um, published the transcripts and I remember all that. Yeah. Right. And they and they did it in a really like shady way that helped get her uh, more prison time and all this stuff. Of and course. it was just really disgraceful. Um, and the guy who was behind it, Kevin Paulson, I mean, he he used to work um, way back after he was busted for hacking in, in um, I think, the early 90s. He went and started working for uh, the government and, and, and other stuff and had connections with the government even before then and kind of screwed them over. So he's like just really not a reputable guy, but Wired had him on forever. And now he's at the Daily Beast. Right. So this is why it's so strange. I mean, like on one hand, you could say all, you know, all these people have been driven into this paranoid state. You know, they've it seems to be like, you know, Russians are behind every corner. This is all fake news. There's, they're trying to sow all this doubt. I can't help but be paranoid and think that a lot of this stuff we're talking about, it just smells funny like Kevin Paulson, and things like Washington Post promoting this completely unknown shadow group, prop or not, just out of the blue. Is it as simple as you've been mentioning, they want to eliminate the competition, they want to get in leagues with these other government figures because it's sort of a symbiotic, mutually beneficial relationship yeah. to eliminate the competition? Or exactly. is there something more to this? And by that, I mean, you know, and this is just I'm, I'm asking you to speculate because this is just what I feel is it feel it smells like the CIA or other intelligence agencies are involved in making drawing some of these groups together behind the scenes somehow, because it just the acceleration of it. You know, just the fact that this happened over the past two years, is it just oligarchs behind this? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of people, you know, I think you could definitely say the oligarchies there. I mean, one of NewsGuard's biggest investors is the publicist group. I mean, it's one of the largest, like the third largest advertising company in the world. So it's connected to like the biggest corporations in the world. Governments like the, the Saudis and it, uh, in terms of corporations it's connected to it's, uh, you know, it's um Bayer, Monsanto, Starbucks, Merck Pharmaceuticals, Procter and Gamble, McDonald's, Burger King. If you look at its top clients for last year, I mean, it's like a who's who's of 
U.S. powerful corporations. And, you know, a lot of those uh, corporations, you know, have a vested interest in in not having independent media on their case because, you know, a lot of times these big name outlets, they sort of drop the ball, especially if like some of their advertisers are these big corporations. They don't really hold, you know, these companies feet to the fire like they should. But, you know, a lot of independent sites, especially ones that focus specifically on environmental things, like in the case of Bayer Monsanto, it's just I think it, it, that we can credit with, you know, a, a really tarnishing Monsanto's reputation so much that when when Bayer merged with them, they dropped the Monsanto name just because it was so toxic. Mm-hmm. And that was largely the result of independent media, in my opinion, really exposing, you know, Monsanto's use of, uh, of cancer causing chemicals, its history of just destroying lives and the environment all over the world. And then you also have, you know, pharmaceutical companies on there that don't want reporting on like their mm-hmm. role in the opioid, opioid crisis, for example, coming to light and independent media cover that much more than mainstream media does, at least the role of the pharmaceutical industry uh, in that crisis. Like a lot of alternative media that are focused on natural health and things like that. I mean, corporations like uh, McDonald's and Burger King obviously don't want those sites to continue being as successful as they are because they pretty much all say fast food is horrible for you. And so actually um, they're have been some alternative media sites that have been that were purged actually before the purge of, of last October that were just completely deleted as, as sort of a precursor to the the purge of pages like the anti-media and the free thought project and all that that happened last October. Th- these type of sites are being censored as well. It's not just alternative, you know, political uh, news sites that are being censored in, in this case, which I think is a testament to the fact of the power of NewsGuard's investors in this case, and, and to also show that this isn't just the mainstream media or the U.S. government involved. These are also, you know, you have the the role of major corporations, oligarchy there too. And and going back to the CIA, I mean, I think that's fair to say as well, because I mean, if you remember back, obviously, you know, John Brennan, former CIA director under Obama, James Clapper, former uh, director of national intelligence under Obama. I mean, those guys had been on the cable news promoting Russiagate and fake news, I mean, excessively in the past two years. They have major roles in, in promoting those narratives. So I think the fact that... Well, even Michael you know, Hayden, I mean, it, and, he was yeah, NSA, well, I right? Mentioned, yeah. Right, well, he was NSA and CIA as yeah. well. And he's also currently at uh, Michael Chertoff's uh, consulting group. Is interesting because Michael Chertoff is also on the board of BAA Systems, a major weapons manufacturer. So, yep. I mean, they probably... And the Alliance for that, Securing Democracy. He's, he's one right, of the founders. Right. I mean, this is... It's just so So there's nuts. all these connections, right? So, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, in that sense of like who's behind this, we can't really pinpoint any one group because the current existing power structure is, is really a web of all of these different uh, yeah. players here, you know? So uh, obviously if they want to shut down independent narrative, something that's coming from the people and challenging the existing power system, I mean, we're going to see those same actors in the existing power system respond together. And, th- and you know, that's why NewsGuard is in this this aggregation or amalgamation of all, of all these different peoples from all these different sectors of the existing power structure. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, you make so many good points about, you know, why independent media is threatening to even just, you know, corporations like Monsanto. It just makes me think that one of the main differences now is it seems like they're doing a lot of this more out in the open. It's easier to see what this larger confluence of of mutual overlapping interests is trying to do some people might call it an aspect of the deep state but right. it, it's it's just well, so that, i mean that, that's sort of like code these days for the existing power structure it's just sort of the name that's come up um in the past two years but i think um, what you describe I mean, is more 
that's more what I think of when I think of the deep state is right. Independent media is something that all of these different people can get on board with and and really try to destroy for their own mutual benefit. But it it does have kind of a boiling frog like effect just over the last two years because first it started with Facebook. You know, one of the big things that I remember reading about, I think it was over a year ago now, was that Facebook was going to have this fake news editorial board that the Washington Post, Snopes, and Daily Caller claims the SPLC was going to help be a part of. But then over over time, we then we learned later that the Weekly Standard and the Atlantic Council Digital Forensics Lab is now part of that. So it's almost like we've been simmered first, when I say we, I mean sort of like people who are more liberal-leaning, who are more accepting of liberal-type information, these things were sort of not resisted against because it's like, oh, these organizations are liberal, you know, or whatever. But behind the scenes, we already saw a confluence of sort of the neoliberal blob in D.C. and the neocons, you know, even before the 2016 election. So I guess what I'm getting at is it seems like we're, I mean, we're in a really bad way, and I feel like we need to keep resisting this and talking about it uh, regularly, and not just NewsGuard, but but this whole thing that's happening. But you've written this, you know, amazing expose on NewsGuard, so I want to get back to that for a second. One of the things I took away from it that was really funny was that uh, this color coding rating system they use deemed Fox News green, and it also rated. RT Red, uh, Russia Today, Red, and uh, Voice of America, which is funded by the U.S. government, Green. Um, so it just, you know, right. it just seems so obvious. And it's like, and then another side issue to that is, you know, we're talking about this broader issue of soft censorship and what this is all culminating towards. But now that there's almost like a racket and an industry around this, it seems like. The NewsGuard is sort of pioneering in this field. How do we know that a, like a right-wing group is not going to try to infiltrate this and be like, like what if the people who run NewsGuard are, are mad that these, some of these other fake news watchdog organizations are too liberal? And they're like, no, we want to like promote stuff like anti-Iran stuff and pro-Fox News stuff. And I mean, even just if that's, even if you're just a liberal person, that should be worrisome too. So, I mean. Well, I don't, I don't really see them doing this along partisan lines. And one yeah. of the things that NewsGuard has used to promote itself is like, hey, we rate Fox News green and we rate the New York Times green. So we don't of have course. a liberal bias. You know, we're nonpartisan yeah. and all of that. So, uh, and, and so as like an example, you know, Fox News is green, but Breitbart fails as an example. And I think what they're trying, uh, as I, as I mentioned, um, you know, earlier, what I think what they're trying to do is just blacklist the sites that they know, uh, have influence and challenge narratives, um, that they don't like. And another site that they rate poorly that they show, they also justify uh, their nonpartisanship with is that they rated the daily cost or daily coast. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but they, they, they give that a failing rating too. Really? But that's also like, yeah, but that's also not a traditional media outlet. Right. Yeah. And it's opinionated just like Breitbart's opinionated. Um, and, and, you know, biased on certain issues or whatever, but I mean, it, it's kind of silly to say that those are biased, but outlets like Fox are not, or outlets like the New York times are not, yeah. um, or Buzzfeed, you know, is not biased. Well, you I know, mean, things yeah, like that. Websites like Buzzfeed, I mean, seem to pioneer 
some of this early, you know, Cold War 2.0 propaganda. Right. And I mean, they, they just had a story that was just it was it, I mean, it was it was made up and it was so made up to the point where Robert Mueller's team or his spokesman or whatever issued a statement saying it was false. And now they're trying to, like, desperately uh, defend their story. The, the main cable news networks, you know, covered it ad nauseum uh, this before the, uh, you know, Mueller's team spoke up or whatever. Now they're just scrambling to try and, like, maintain a facade of legitimacy, which is, you know, kind of amusing. But this is just what, you know, Russiagate reporting has really done to these people. I mean, at the same time, they were trying to like go on the offensive and go against the forces that like undermined their influence before. But because like the Russiagating reporting has in so many cases has just been so atrocious or they've had to attract retract so many stories or publish so many corrections, even in the last month, you know, there's been big Russiagate corrections and like articles in the New York Times and most recently BuzzFeed, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Um, you know, they're just really scrambling to try and, and uh, you know, defend themselves. NewsGuard is trying to help them. But I mean, their continue their um, continued practice of trying to support, you know, the existing power system and for and keep the Russiagate narrative alive um, is actually tanking their credibility for most people that are actually reading it. So I, I think in that sense, even if NewsGuard does get on every device or whatever, I, I think honestly that so much damage for at least many Americans, the, probably the majority of Americans, I would say, has already, the, most of the damage has been done, you know, and it doesn't help that like, you know, uh, at least it doesn't help, you know, these traditional outlets, the fact that Trump, you know, has weaponized fake news back against them among his supporters, which is a sizable, you know, Despite, you know, Trump not fulfilling his campaign promises, I mean, he has still retained a large amount of uh, his original base, thanks to QAnon and stuff like that. But, I mean, uh, because he's weaponized fake news and his, his, you know, his supporters just, you know, hate CNN and all that stuff, you know, it's it's like really – I mean, I just really think the damage is already done. And even though NewsGuard is nefarious and this creeping effort – I think the real damage about it, in my opinion, is this brand guard thing that's going to try and cut off ad revenue mm-hmm. more than it is, um, you know, people being swayed to whether it's accurate or not. But I do also think the fact that they're trying to put it in public libraries and public schools and universities is that they're trying to go after the youngest people that are first starting to use the Internet, first starting to surf the Internet for news and sort of shape and mold their opinions. Um, more than target, you know, existing internet users and people that were politically aware and looking for political news prior to the 2016 election. I mean, so in a sense, you feel that sort of the independent media, the damage that it's caused to parts of the establishment is already, it's already too late to repair. Is that, is that sort of what you're saying? Do you have a more hopeful opinion of it? No, I, I don't think, you know, all Americans share that view, but yeah. I think, you know, at le- I would say at least half of the U.S. doesn't. I mean, I mean, if you look at the polls mm-hmm. of the trust of mainstream, you know, trust in traditional media by, by things like Gallup and stuff like that, I mean, it's really low. Um, and I think that's a testament to the success of independent media. And, and you know, they kind of were late in the game to try and, and, and start this purge and stuff. And, I, and, and you know, it, it sucks for people that have made, you know, really great uh, independent media pages that are getting, you know, slammed because of this. But, you know, if, you know, um, the the motive originally was to, you know, enlighten people and offer, uh, you know, information that was sort of being occulted by the mainstream media or the government or whatever, I think, you know, that that's been really successful. And that's why we're seeing such a desperate effort 
on the part of, you know, existing power structure, deep state, whatever, um, to really try and take control back. I, I feel that independent media has been very effective in the ways that you're talking about. But on the other hand, I, I guess I also am more really concerned that because they've already been so, you know, it's sneaky about this, you know, even though we're seeing a lot mm-hmm. of the, these these things happening because we, we pay attention to them. But the fact that they're being so sneaky right. about this and they're and they're getting all these corporations involved in this, it makes me concerned that some an organization like Mint Press News will be just you know, and I hate to say it like this, but will be just like shadow banned sl- more strongly over time to the point where maybe like they won't ban Mint Press News's Twitter account or or shut it down, but they might like just remove it from people's feeds. You know, so we we won't yeah. even see it pop we're, up. I mean, we're already seeing that. I mean, yeah, exactly. Press has seen its algorithms totally. totally, totally messed up. But it's it's been going on ever since the 2016 election. I mean, Google, um, Google, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, all that, all all of their, um, all of that has just really gotten bad for us. I mean, we've seen page uh, traffic really suffer as a result. In and, and you know the changes and and on, on and reach in, from Facebook have just been really. Um, really drastic. And, you know, even for a page, like, so as an example, a page that some people might know, it has like 8 million likes or something on Facebook is, is the mind unleashed. And they publish a lot of stuff from anti-media and mint press. And, you know, uh, only like 5,000 people end up seeing their posts, but they have 8 million likes obviously doesn't make sense, but that's just how Facebook is, is, is functioning right now. So I think, you know, obviously the end game, and I think most people in independent media, uh, recognize this is to basically have everything cut off except for um, email mailing lists and you know direct access to the site. I think that's really. I think we've pretty much recognized that if this doesn't isn't stopped at some point, um, I mean that's all we're really going to be left with. Which is why you know like Mint Press, you know we're trying to. Um, well, we recently finished a crowdfunding fundraiser that was really successful, but I mean, that's basically going to be the future for us and for most pages. I mean, so, uh, Abby's, you know, the, the, the empire files, they did the same thing. They had to crowdfund. It was super successful because people want that information. But I mean, for independent media, I mean, that's pretty much the future for us. And actually, uh, thinking on the positive side, it's actually better, even though it's a really painful transition and it would have been nice to have advanced notice like years ago, that this is how things were going to be to sort of develop alternatives in the past instead of having to do it like quickly now. Uh Um, but it's probably for the, for the best that, you know, uh, independent media pages try and and develop a a following that's not dependent on Facebook and Twitter if possible. Yeah. Just because, you know, they're, um, (laughs) they're, you know, willing players and then this, you know, neocon or uh, deep state, whatever back censorship offensive. Um, so in Google, you know, um, you know, so for example, like Mint Press, you know, we're really anti-empire, things like that. And Google, for example, is a U.S. military contractor. Us, depending on Google AdSense, for example, well, you know, it would make sense for us from an activist perspective to divest from that, which is what we've done now because of the crowdfunding thing. But, you know, when a lot of pages start up, I mean, it, it's just it's just the easiest, you know, of like they, it's easy. It, it used to be anyway, uh, really easy to draw people to your page using Facebook and Twitter and all of that. But, you know, now, I mean, people that actually care about independent media, now is the time to rally behind uh, independent media if you believe in what it stands for, which is, you know, a check on empire. 
a check on, you know, the existing power structure if you want to continue to know what's what. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the other side of the story that you're not hearing from the government or, you know, these these corporate media outlets. I mean, now now is the time to support the outlets that you trust. I like that you're finding so many, you know, positive spins on the, on what's happening because <laughs> yeah well i know kind of have to i mean i, I, I write good. so many depressing about so much depressing stuff and you know there's only you have to you have to keep an eye on the on the light at the end of the tunnel yeah and at least be able to see the positive because there's so much negative i mean you know these people are just so i mean they have no morals and they are just nasty people i mean in my opinion and probably the people that listen to this podcast share that opinion. It's really hard to, um, you know, look at these people and see them in control of all this stuff and making all these like, uh, you know, covert underhanded plans and not feel disheartened about it. But, you know, it, it's just it, what it should really be is a call to action for people. So in the sense that like, you know, NewsGuard now, like um, we can pretty much see who's behind it and, and see what its end game is. I mean, and, and that they're in more importantly, uh, in this case, that they're trying to build this image about themselves. What people need to do is help tear that image down and use, you know, social media to their advantage why it's still you know functioning um to to hold them to account i think that's really important uh newsguard also has a feedback section on its website so it would be nice to send them lots of messages too <laughs> yeah and i don't know how many people listening to this or who read your stuff actually have felt or understand you know how disheartening it would be for someone involved in say mint press news to see their traffic drop significantly from yeah, you know google google deranking their page or however that's happening there there's a whole other side to it and i don't mean to be like too inside baseball about it but that's that's a really big deal to see your you know web traffic drop that's like pushing a well, boulder up a hill you know, and falling it's, so i mean right i'm just saying uh, well, you have to have you have to almost see it like a call to action otherwise you're just going to be like well what's the point and that's and that's sort of almost exactly i feel like what the goal of this is possibly too, to demoralize and make people feel like they shouldn't even bother doing independent media if they're going to challenge the establishment because, oh, they'll just censor, shadow ban me or whatever. You almost have to get past that because we need independent media. It's, it's just so crucial to what's happening in this country and other places all over the world. So I definitely think it was really disheartening for a lot of people, especially the social media purge uh, last October. So like uh, some of the people that, that run some of the sites that were deleted, they were like, OK, I, my job was just deleted by Facebook in one day. Like I, you know, have spent years building this page and it was just wiped out in an instant. Yeah. And, you know, now what do I do? You know, it's important for people that consume ind independent media to keep in mind that, you know, these are people that spend you know, most of their day trying to bring you information that is, is pertinent and relevant and that you're not going to get from other places. So, I mean, if you value that as a service, um, it, it would make sense to support it, especially at this point where, you know, uh, they're trying to wipe us off the map, to be frank. W will they be ultimately successful? I mean, it depends. Obviously, uh, you know, as crowdfunding exists, some pages will stay, stay afloat. But, you know, the reach. Yeah is definitely i mean if, if you don't already know about mint press i mean in in the future going forward i mean unless someone tells you about it like on the street or like at your job or like you know in person you're probably not going to hear about it on, on the internet if this continues to go forward um so i think it's 
Um, you know, it's important to try and, and keep this alive and, you know, share it with people. You know, we, we kind of need to, to, if the, if the internet is being weaponized against it, we weaponized against us, we kind of have to, uh, unplug a little bit, I think too, and, and start talking more to people in our daily lives about what's going on, because that's something they can't censor, you know, before the internet, I mean, word of mouth was a big deal. And I think we should try and, and reestablish that since it's, you know, outside, uh, you know, these tech companies and all that can't really stop you from, you know, telling your neighbors or your friends that, you know, empire sucks, you know. <laughs> and even just, uh, you know, back to how things were done before the internet with independent news media, and even in some cases, like, you know, like conspiracy uh, mailing lists and things like that, just regular old mail collecting people's Right. And information. I mean, uh, or I just mean, stuffing it in their mailbox, whether they want it or not. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, they're. But I think I think people should consider, you know, if they have the ability, going back and 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 doing that. Yeah, and and it also, you know, can develop a more personal relationship. That's what you're you want to do with your independent media platform than than I think the internet can in some instances. And you don't get as many. You know, the trolls, you maybe get more people who are more dedicated to what you're doing. You know, I'm not saying that going back to the, you know, I don't want to call it the dark ages, but going back to this older time is how it should go. But if, I mean, there are other alternatives to the internet that I think we've forgotten about. Just going back to NewsGuard, while we were doing this interview, I just discovered um, has rated Drudge Report uh, a red rating, a poor rating. Oh, really? Which is pretty interesting because... You know, Drudge Report is just an aggregate, although they have – It's an their- aggregation site, and most of the sites they link to are like sites that are probably rated green by NewsGuard. And they mention <laughs> on their rating system the reason they gave them a bad rating is because they linked to Infowars.com, um, ah, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. But Steve, so Steve <laughs> Brill, the co-CEO of NewsGuard, says uh, we're asking them, Facebook, Twitter, Microsoft, and Google – to pay a fraction of what they pay their PR people and their lobbyists to talk about the problem. Is this just an organization capitalizing on the fake news watchdog gold rush um, to cut out the internal processes? Because um, in in reporting on NewsGuard, uh, both the CEOs have mentioned that they plan to make uh, a huge profit off of licensing NewsGuard's ranking system to technology companies. And this includes Facebook and Google. So for their, uh, you know, uh, the bulk of their anticipated income in this project uh, is set to come from them partnering with things like Microsoft, Google, uh, Twitter, and Facebook, because they're not planning on doing that for free. They're planning on selling the, te- the, the NewsGuard ranking system and all of that and the plug-in um, with a licensing fee, right? That will surely be uh, considerably high, but I mean, I forget how many people Facebook is employing now for the fake news thing. So I'm sure they'll pitch exactly the right price uh, that's like just slightly less than what they're paying all those other people now um, to, to convince them to put this to work. And because of all the positive PR, you know, they've been trying, they, they, they've been generating and mainstream outlets and whatnot. Um, you know, and and this Gallup poll I mentioned earlier of like 89% of Americans want this on Facebook, you know, I mean, they're, they're pretty much trying to pave the way, um, for this to be integrated into Facebook permanently. And so they're, you know, that poll, I think also, in addition to manufacturing consent for, you know, 
uh, Americans to accept NewsGuard being installed by default on Facebook and things like that was also done to pressure Facebook uh, into accepting this um, because, oh, the people want it and because it's cheaper for you. You know, it's giving NewsGuard better selling points for when they go uh, into their meetings or whatever with Facebook and, and trying to, to hammer out this deal. You know, it gives them an advantage as well. Yeah, I mean, if Facebook and Twitter already have uh, departments like this, what do you think the the actual advantage would be for one of these companies hiring NewsGuard? What what could they do more effectively? They they they, they can offset responsibility, which okay. is I think would be the attractive thing for Facebook. So Facebook has had a lot of bad pub- uh, publicity. Re- uh, uh, recently for several reasons, you know, not necessarily Uh fake news, but fake news is one of them. And so, you know, if they are accused of allowing a certain fake quote, fake news narrative to proliferate on their platform, and it's because, you know, their staff they've hired to do this, you know, didn't do it right or whatever, then they can, if they have NewsGuard instead, then they just offset responsibility to NewsGuard just to one thing instead of all these staff or like it's team of like four fact checkers like Snopes Mm -hmm. and PolitiFact and whatever. Um, It's also interesting to point out, though, uh, since I I mentioned Snopes and PolitiFact, that actually a lot of the written explanations that NewsGuard uses and its write-ups justifying its rankings most often cite Snopes and PolitiFact, which I think is um, important to point out because basically they're just using, in some cases, the rankings of of those those sites, which um, we could go into more uh, about this later, that they're, they're both quite biased, um, but they're using that, right. And they're using that as their, um, justification for, for giving poor rankings to certain pages, which I think is interesting to point out because supposedly NewsGuard says they're like, um, you know, the, these veteran journalists rating things and they, they make careful analysis and they do real journalism to find out if a site is credible or not. But what they're, if, if they're just citing Snopes and PolitiFact, I mean, they're off, uh, you know, they're outsourcing that, that sort of veteran journalist credibility, um, which, harms their image in that sense. Yeah, um, definitely. So when it comes to the mass phenomenon we've seen of people being deplatformed uh, from social media and even removing their online income source through websites like Patreon, it's mostly been offensive people that I think are charlatans or sort of racist right-wing, you know, or right-wing people. Um, That's who it's mostly been targeted at in terms of like defunding, you know, people through like Patreon and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like that guy Sargon of a card or whatever. They defunded him for saying the N-word on some video. And before him was was Lauren Southern was deplatformed before him. So yeah, it's mostly been like uh, right-wing people. So I think that there's something to that. And, you know, I have no sympathy for them as people i think with them in the things you know especially lauren southern puts out are terrible but it is interesting that they really made a really public seemingly coordinated effort to deplatform Infowars um from you know yeah, Twitter, well, I, I think facebook i think that was you know the beginning of all of this really was when yeah. they decided to try it on him because he's uh, you know alex jones is so divisive it's so, so offensive people, to so many people yeah Right, right. And so they they figured that because he's, you know, right, like you said, hateable, that they could, you know, set a precedent for this type of censorship on other sites, you know, that don't have that sort of baggage that Alex Jones has to sort of trailblaze the path for this type of censorship. So I think it really does a disservice. I mean, even if you're like 
a lot of the people that that find Alex Jones's stuff like horrific or, or whatever, you don't have to see, you don't have to pay attention to his stuff if you don't want to. I mean, obviously, if you don't want to see Alex Jones's stuff, don't follow him. Well, he doesn't have Twitter anymore, but you know, don't follow him on Twitter, don't follow him on Facebook, don't follow him on YouTube, and then mm-hmm. you don't see his stuff. And I mean, you're fine, you know. Obviously, what what you know, this was a what was creepy about Alex Jones's thing is that this was a coordinated effort by multiple platforms to take out the same page and the same guy. Yeah. And, you know, I think we're going to see, and, and this last social media purge was coordinated between Facebook and Twitter. And I think we'll just see more of that coordination, um, going forward. And I think it's really troubling. And so I, I would, you know, in the case of Patreon, I mean, Patreon is, is they they are setting up to be the, the next one. So it, it seems like, you know, with Patreon, they're starting to sort of do the same thing. And I think, you know, for what I mentioned earlier, the fact that independent media is being pushed to increasingly rely on crowdfunding, Patreon is a big part of that. So some exactly. uh, journalists, um, including, you know, uh, really reliable and important uh, independent journalists, like as an example of Vanessa Bealey, um, who did a, who's done a lot of work on Syria. I mean, she gets a... a well, I don't know her finances personally, but I know that she she has a lot of supporters on Patreon mm-hmm. that really help enable her to continue doing her work. And um, I think they're going to try. And I, I I really don't want this to be the case, obviously, but I feel like that's going to be their next target because yeah. the, the, they've clearly shown, um, you know, from the, when the, back when all this all started, that they're they're trying to target finances. You know, if they can't target your credibility because you've already built a following, you know, and stuff like that. Um, then they're going to go after your finances, try and cripple you financially. So I think Patreon uh, for them is the next logical goal in in, in that case. Um, and we're already sort of seeing that sort of creep that started with because um, the censorship of Alex Jones that was in August, and then it was just too much later th- that all these other pages were wiped out. So it's there's usually not that much space between when they first start taking out um, you know these like hateable figures um, until they um, you know go after just regular you know, independent reporters and, and news organizations. So I think, you know, um, if you're going to cheer, uh, people like Alex Jones being censored, you know, do so at your own risk because it's highly likely that a lot of pages you follow, um, will also be censored in, in the near future. And, um, it, it's best to recognize, you know, this creeping censorship for what it is. You know, even if you have no sympathy for Alex Jones losing his social media accounts or whatever, I mean, he's going to be able to bounce back. He's got millions of dollars behind his operation. Most of these other independent media voices will just kind of disappear if we don't really fight back against this and, and really mention them as they're being deplatform, you know, give them attention. It's happening a lot on the left, too. It's, it's, it's still happening. It is probably going to get worse. I'm not trying to end it on a negative note, but um, we do need to think about it as a call to action and really start thinking about things of how we can be truly independent and still get our message out there. And that's why I think you exposing, you know, an organization like NewsGuard and really laying out what they're, what they do and how they're part of this larger agenda um, is really important. Thank you. (laughs) So thank you so much for coming on today, Whitney. And uh, I hope you continue to write for Mint Press News, even if, even if it is totally shadow ban, I hope, you know, sounding so cynical, but it's still in progress. Well, they can try and censor us, but they yeah. they can try and censor us, but they won't shut us up. You know, and I feel like that's pretty much shared by by independent media across the board. 
Um, you know, the yeah. fact that they're trying to, to, you know, take a wipe us off the map so uh, aggressively has really sort of given us a, a sense of resolve as well to keep, you know, to really stick it to them, you know. <laughs> but yeah. obviously we need, uh, as you mentioned, the call to action, you know, we really need support of our readers to be able to continue to do that. Totally. Yeah. So everybody out there listening, support Mint Press News. It's one of my favorite independent news websites. And uh, everybody check out Whitney Webb's writings for Mint Press News. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me on. Thank you.